Tips for dealing with the bag. So perhaps you're renting in a property where it is run by a body corporate. Understanding the basic calculation income minus expenses and you want to be left with a positive income it is a very tough game not easy at all to stay ahead of um knowing exactly what what your clients need what what their teething issues are have a joint move-in inspection that a lot of people that are coming into sectional title homeowners associations are just like you described first not only first-time homeowners but first-time owners and residents in community schemes they get to see the perspective from the other side of the aisle. And I think that's a really important thing to do. It's a market that's estimated to, to, to be transacting at least 9 billion rand per year. So it's a huge market. In order to get there, you need to be able to build up a track record. Your cash flow module needs to be sharp. This is, um, a, a quote comes to mind. The best time to buy a property was about 10 years ago. The next best time is now. and welcome to episode 75 of the Private Pro Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamandunga Kumalo. And of course, it's the Tuesday edition of the show. And as usual, we're going to be talking about, you know, maximizing your property portfolio. I think this evening's conversation is actually one that nobody should miss. I think one of the big things that you've probably picked up certainly from this week is we're having a very big restructuring week, um, looking at different topics that have to do with how to best structure uh, your property portfolio. And this is, of course, a topic that I've certainly been promising that we're going to dig deep into, as a lot of us probably need help in structuring our portfolios in the most efficient way possible. And talking about efficiency, one of the things that you want to be very efficient in when it comes to your property portfolio is of course, your taxes. Now, I'm sure a lot of you know, because I've shared this one, I don't do my own taxes. I have an accountant who does my taxes. I did not learn, you know, anything that has to do with taxes, whether I was in high school or certainly in varsity. And I always say that, you know, if, if they wanted us to, to do our own taxes, maybe they should have taught us this in varsity. Nowhere in the varsity curriculum, or certainly in what I studied, uh, was I taught how to do my taxes. So I get a professional to do it very efficiently. I always get money back from SARS, always get audited, and always have a clean audit. And of course, that speaks to the importance of working with professionals, especially when you are a property investor. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about this evening right here on the Private Property Podcast. And you're probably wondering what exactly that is. And that's, of course, how to use tax to build wealth um, through property. So we're essentially looking at how to use tax to build property wealth. And this, of course, will be you know one of those topics you do not want to miss. We always talk about being tax efficient. Uh, we're going to understand what exactly do we mean when we say you must be tax efficient, especially as a property uh, property investor, which is something that I'm sure a lot of people within the property circles certainly speak about. And to help us better understand our taxes, you know, how to be tax efficient and what we should be looking out for when we are property investors, I'll be joined this evening by Obageng Khaitate, who's a property investor and a tax expert. Obageng, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Zama, good evening. I'm very excited to be here with you. 
So, you know, again, before we even look at how we can go about, you know, using tax to build our wealth, especially property wealth, perhaps let's look at this concept of being tax efficient. You know, we talk a lot about it. I certainly hear it a lot within, uh, you know, property spaces and a lot of property investors, especially those who are now perhaps on their second investment property or third investment property, always talk about wanting to ensure that they're tax efficient as possible. And I think as a newbie sort of, a, you know, investor, you're probably thinking, what does this mean? I certainly know that that's one of the big questions that I had. What exactly do we mean when we say, you know, we must be as tax efficient as possible, especially as property investors? Well, excellent question that you're asking there. You see the issue of being tax efficient. It goes to the issue of understanding how the income tax law and regulations affect your business as a, as a tax, as, as a property investor or somebody that owns properties. So Zama, I, I like the fact that you said that, uh, you know, because you didn't study taxes, you involved an expert in that regard. So it is very important. And one of the things that I know when I do these, these tax talks, lots of people are, are scared of what the receiver of revenue does. And what that usually does is it comes back to them and bites them when they least expect. So let's talk about what does it mean to be uh, tax efficient? To be tax efficient means you understand all the rules and regulations that impact your business. Now, for instance, one of the good things that many people are, I know another way is that when you do your, your income tax returns, there is what is called the accounting profit, and that is what is called the income tax profit. And most of the time, because of the allowances that the receiver of revenue gives you, you tend to find that your, your profit in terms of the income tax act tends to be lower in some instances than your profit in terms of calculating it based on pure accounting principles. So, so for instance, one of the things that most people do not know is that the interest you pay the bank during the time that you are still paying the bond is interest that is deductible, number one. You have what is called wear and tear on, um, on properties that may not necessarily be deductible in terms of accounting principles. So when we simply talk about, to summarize, when we say tax efficient, we simply means that an individual understands all the allowances that can be allowed, or rather putting it differently, all the deductions that are allowable for tax purposes against the rental income or the growth of the property. So that is very important. And that's what we mean when we say, you are tax efficient. You understand all those things. And perhaps again, let's look at, you know, some of those um, deductions that are allowable. Because I'm sure now uh, you, there are probably investors who are sitting there thinking, okay, first of all, I didn't know that, uh, you know, the interest that you pay on your bond is a deductible. Um, I mean, I certainly learned that after having a conversation with my accountant, uh, because obviously the moment tax season sort of approaches, she asks me for all these things. And I think I'm quite lucky in that she's able to talk me through what exactly is happening. Um, so that also as a property investor, I get better knowledge in how 
the, how taxes essentially work. Um, so I remember when I first learned that, you know, the interest on the bond is can certainly be deducted against the, um, the rental that you get. I thought, had she not told me that, I don't know where else I would have, you know, found out about it. Because certainly in a lot of the, 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 the research that I've done, that wasn't something that I picked up. Perhaps, oh. you know, take us through, maybe not so exhaustively, but certainly some of the major uh, deductions that are allowed that property investors ought to be aware of uh, from the onset, because I'm sure a lot of us are thinking, well, I didn't even know that the interest on the bond is something that, uh, you know, I can claim back. And, and so what are some of the other, uh, you know, deductibles that are allowed um, when we're talking about, you know, tax, when it refers to our investment properties? Okay, great. Let, let's, let's look at the two, the two pockets. And when I say the two pockets, the first pocket is what is called your operational expenses. And then the other pocket of allowable deductions is what is called your capital improvement. So it's important as property investors to remember that as you, as you know, normally uh, you have the light bulb uh, needs to be replaced. Sometimes uh, you need to replace the, the keys on the door. So the operational expenses are all deductible. Your management levies, uh, uh, repairs and maintenance, all those things. In other words, all the expenses that relate to property, all of them are deductible. And the important one is the one that is called your capital expenditure. Now, depending on, on the amount of, of expense compared to the capital investment, all these things become what is called capital expenses. So as a property investor, it's important to keep, and, and this is where sometimes people uh, miss it in that they don't keep proper records and proper accounting. And sometimes come end of the year and you declare your income tax laws, SARS are at liberty to say, hey, hang on a bit. I see you've made a loss. Um, Zama, you mentioning the issue of getting money back from SARS. Now, obviously you must remember that whenever you, your situation is such that SARS needs to pay you back, you need to be ready with the receipts, be they operational expenses, be they capital expenses. You need to easily have them available to submit to SARS so that you can substantiate your claim. But, but in a nutshell, yes, all the expenses, whether it is repainting the flat, sometimes as property investors, we, we buy properties that need repair. And it's important that we keep all those receipts, whether it's repainting the whole unit, uh, fixing the electrical wiring because the property was, was neglected, uh, it was vacant. So all those expenses, it's important to remember that they must be kept properly so that when we do our returns, it's, it's easy to submit and substantiate what we're submitting to SARS. And you know, again, one of the big things, uh, one of the big questions that we certainly get asked here on the Private Property Podcast is around, you know, best practice when it comes to whatever the topic uh, we're talking about is. And I think with this one is concerned, people are probably thinking, okay, so what's the best way to essentially structure then your portfolio in order to be as tax efficient as possible? Um, because as we're saying, I think it, it as, a, as a newbie 
you know, landlord or investor, you probably might not have certain systems in place. Perhaps you haven't structured your portfolio in the most efficient way. There's certainly viewers at home who are either at the beginning stage, uh, some are certainly looking to go into property investment, and some are already in there, perhaps exploring different ways to, to better restructure their current portfolio. What would you say are perhaps some of the better ways or the best ways we can go about structuring our portfolio so that it is as tax efficient as possible? Now, that is a very important question you're asking, and, and it, 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 also, it, it also talks to what we're wanting to, to talk about or what you're saying, how do you use tax to build your, your wealth, your property wealth? What does structuring mean? Structuring simply means you arrange your affairs such that you pay minimum taxes overall. Now, in structuring your portfolio as an individual, um, you must remember that you can create a, a company. Now, when you talk about structure, and the reason we always say buy a property in the company, never buy a property in your personal name. Because in the long run, we as individuals, we as entrepreneurs, we get involved in lots and lots of businesses. Now, the biggest risk when you are when you have a property in your personal name, the biggest risk is that when you get involved in another transaction or in another business and things don't go well on that business, what banks and lenders normally do is they would say, hey, Oba King, you are asking for a loan of 10 million, sign personal surety. So lots of times as investors, as businessmen, businesswomen, we sign personal surety for our companies in case certain things go wrong. And if I have signed personal surety and I've got 20 properties in my personal name, when something goes wrong on that specific transaction, it means all my wealth, all the properties that I have in my personal name then becomes part of that estate and I have to sell my properties to satisfy that debt. So part of the structuring is it becomes a very big MB, a very big matter that number one, in my personal name, I don't own any property, that's number one. The second thing is, when you talk about trusts now, the importance is that, so in the companies that I have created, in the companies that I own properties in, me personally, I'm not even the shareholder of those companies. Of I'm not the shareholder of the shares in those companies. We then create the trust. Now, the thing about trusts and companies is that Trusts have a very high income tax rates and companies have a very low income tax rate. So what we do, and I think, I think it's important for the viewers here that we make it very clear that what we are sharing here, this is, this is general. And what we always do when we do the structure for clients is that we would look at the unique situation to say, in this unique situation, how many companies do we use? How many trusts do we use? And the important thing regarding this Zama is that whereas trusts have a, a very high tax rate, it is therefore not good that a trust should be the landlord in the properties because of its high tax rate. However, it makes tax efficiency, it's tax wise to have a PTY LTD be the landlord over the properties because the tax rate, especially considering when you talk about newbies, 
we have what is what we call the SBC rate, your small business corporation rate. And when you consider the small business corporation tax rates for someone who is new in property, most of them don't pay tax for year one, year two. They only start paying tax in year three, depending on the income that comes in, the rental that comes in, less the expenses. So what we do is that when it comes to structuring, so, so the issue of structuring is that you take into account all the parties involved. So I'm speaking to Zama, I'm speaking to Joe, I'm speaking to Obakeng. Obakeng has children, um, uh, descendants. And so you, what you do is that tax efficiency is you say, could you get my son who is 18 year old, my daughter who is 18 year old to perhaps be, even though they might be adversity, why don't I get them to be the bookkeeper in the business? So what that means is that my company, before all the, all the tax comes that I have to pay for the company, I employ my daughter who is at varsity. And then instead of me giving her an allowance, I pay her a salary for being, whether it's my accountant or my decorator or whatever, because what then, what then happens is that you must remember that for individuals, uh, income tax is on a rising scale. So depending on the people I have around me, uh, because it's important to remember that tax do not affect me only. It affects me, my wife, my children, and everybody that I'm connected with. So structuring means both structuring and tax efficiency. It means I'm taking myself and everybody around me um, and even my unborn children and grandchildren, this is now where trusts come in. So it's important that in structuring, we look at a unique situation and we say, how can we minimize tax legally in the situation? And I like that, uh, you know, again, because I think one of the big things is us understanding the, the legal mechanisms that we're able to use to pay as little tax as possible. Um, and it's always one of those things that said about uh, certainly the top 1% that they know how to best structure their estate in ways where they pay the most minimum amount of tax. And if, if anything, it's kind of the people who are at the bottom end who end up being given <laughs> tax because we don't know the best ways to navigate uh, you know, the tax system and how to best structure our estate in ways where we can legally pay um, less tax. We're going to go for a quick break over again and when we come back, we're going to be exploring then how we go about using tax to build our property wealth. Because I think now we certainly have an understanding of what being tax efficient is um, and what it essentially uh, you know, it captures and the importance of being tax efficient, especially as property investors. Of course, we are taking your questions and comments of, at home. If you certainly have any tax issues that you've always wanted to find out about, do send them through. I'm gonna go for a quick break and when we come back, we'll be looking at ways that you can then build property wealth by using tax. We'll be back just after this.
Welcome back to episode 75 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzaman Dunga Kumalo. This evening, we're talking about how to use tax to build property wealth. And we're speaking to Obageng Haidade, who's a property investor and tax expert. So Obageng, we've certainly looked at tax efficiency, why it's important, uh, especially for newcomer investors. Let's then look at, you know, how does one use tax to, you know, to build their property wealth? I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, for one, I never even get, you know, money back from SARS. How exactly am I going to be using tax to build any kind of wealth, never mind property wealth? Can you take us through that again? Oh, there's, a, there's a couple of steps uh, that everyone needs to know how to use tax to build wealth. The very first thing top on my agenda is always knowledge. Uh, what knowledge does is knowledge impacts your mindset. Without knowledge, without knowing you can take advantage of taxes, it puts you in a weak position. One of my, one of my mentors always says that success or failure is 80% mindset. So top on the agenda, point number one, how to use tax to build wealth, learn, speak to experts. The fact that we are doing the private property podcast, it's a very critical key element, number one, to learn so that your mindset is good. So that's number one. The second item on the list is, uh, as, I, as, as we mentioned briefly earlier, is that you must use companies. When you're talking about building wealth, using a company, it saves you literally thousands and thousands of rands in tax money, as opposed to, uh, for instance, I have a couple of clients that I had shown them, when they are on the 40% income tax bracket, and the company that's on the 28%, 20% tax bracket, and something that our audience needs to understand is this, this big difference. You see, as an employee, what happens is that SARS takes their cut, SARS takes taxes, and then you spend money. Now, rich people or us as property investors, we first spend the money because SARS says when you're a property investor, when you run a business, any type of business, you spend money first and then you pay tax on, the, on whatever remains. So the second thing that is very important is that individual must understand that a registered company spends all the money using allowable deductions and then and only then pays tax. So the second thing is that run your business in a company, not in your personal name, because in your personal name, you don't get a lot of uh, tax breaks. That's the second thing. The third thing is uh, one of the very long-term strategy is what we call estate planning. Now, what estate planning does is in, in one of the books that I have been sharing with people for free, I, I go and show an example to say that what the estate duty does. I have an example of a lady who had 20 units and because of the 20% estate duty, when somebody passes on, uh, this specific estate had to get rid of I think out of the 20 flats, it was about um, three or four flats had to be sold away just to satisfy the estate duty liability. So these are the three key components that I know we are talking on the podcast here. I would urge everyone that thinks of saying, 
How do I get into the property business? How do I build my wealth using taxes? Is that, for instance, in this specific example, uh, I think the tax bill was close to just, just close to 3 million rands in estate duty. And this could have been avoided had this lady not owned the shares in the company, but if the trust was the owner of the shares. So the issue of building wealth, when we talk about building wealth, truth of the matter is that I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about my children and my children's children. I'm looking at, at generations to come. So it's important that I remember that what I do today, um, yes, I'll be gone in the next 100 years or 200 years, but then the people that remain, it would be nice that the 100 properties that I have, the 200 properties that I have, my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren will say, hey, you know, Ojata Obajeng has left us this wealth like we see other nations do. So those are the three key things that are very important in allowing income tax in making sure that we structure our things properly so that we preserve and we build our wealth long-term. So, you know, again, one of the things that you, you mentioned as being key when it, when it comes to, you know, uh, using tax to build our property wealth is using companies. And I've certainly heard, uh, you know, different variations of how one can be smart in uh, how you use properties. Um, I'd like to get your take on whether we should be almost registering different companies for, let's say, each property, or whether you, you know, maybe take the first three properties and um, run them under one PTY LTD, and then perhaps the next three under a separate one. I know that there tends to be varying views um, when it comes to this one, and of course, different people have different uh, property ambitions. I know certainly yeah. there's certain property investors, for example, who say that their golden number, for example, is 10 properties and they've created models that speak to why they're looking at 10. Um, and perhaps it's even a combination of using a you know a cash flow strategy and a capital accumulation strategy. And within those 10, there's a nice mix of both. So they know that once they reach those 10 properties, their model um, will yield X amount. Um, you know, from the property portfolio, what would you say is probably the most optimal? You know, do we take one property, I mean, one company and sort of run all the properties under that one company? Or is it better to diversify and split it just a little bit? And perhaps take us through the importance of either having that one or if it's splitting it, why is then important to also split it? Yeah. So, so the important thing, the, the right answer is, is unique to every situation. And the reason we need to remember that we as professionals, we are always asked to take the goals of clients into account. Now, whether it's three properties or 10 properties, the first thing that you need to look at is what is the client wanting to attain? There is, of course, Zama, you know, there is, there's many and varied property strategies. Now, the issue of the number, I, I always advise that if, if one is looking at taking properties long-term, we always say have a property per company. In this day and age, registering a property is not very much, uh, maintaining the property is not very much. And again, it depends on the unique situation. One of the advantages of having a property, one property per company, is that in case you need cash flow, in case you need to sell a property, 
properties that are found in companies are, are an attractive buy because they do not attract what is called transfer duty. So if I wanted to buy a house and the house is in a company, that, that house would, would be cheap because all that happens is we just transfer the shares in the specific company. So I buy the company, we change, uh, if I'm buying the company from um, Motalepule, Motalepule no longer is a director, we have an agreement, Obakem becomes a shareholder of the company and boom, done. The property is already mine. So hence I'm saying that we must be careful that there is no golden number that is correct across the board. It depends on the unique situation of the individual or the family or the situation. Let's look at the number of properties. There is, for instance, in the Income Tax Act, uh, what we call Section 30 SEX. Now, what's section, section 13 SEX? What that section does, it says that when you buy five properties that are new, that haven't been used, you get additional uh, tax breaks or tax allowances. So hence, I'm saying again, I think it becomes very important for our audience to remember that whatever we say, there's a, we, we must assess each situation individually and understand what the way forward and the purpose of the investor is. So for instance, yes, we may say it is good to put five companies in a company. That would obviously depend on whether those specific properties qualify in terms of section 13 sex. So if they do qualify in terms of that section number one, and also when we're saying that the investor is looking at keeping these properties for the long term, then yes, we could say, let's have these five properties in here so that we can enjoy the tax breaks. And there's no, there's no reason that we're foreseeing in the future that we might need to get rid of this specific company or this property, of these properties. So in that way, yes. But I think it's very important that we remember that we mustn't, every situation is different. And therefore we must not cast one answer to the whole situation. The advice would be, yes, listen to the podcast. Yes, get advice. Um, and then, yeah, remember that your situation is unique. The very first question we need to ask is, what is your journey regarding properties? What are you trying to achieve? Are you building, uh, wealth for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. So these are the questions that we need to ask before we devise the unique strategy for the specific investor. And again, before I let you go, you know, one last final question, sorry, from my end is, um, and this one specifically goes to whether it's people who are looking to, you know, enter property investment or certainly those who are in it, perhaps, let's say, less than five years. So are still relatively new um, in the space of investing in property and running their respective property businesses is what should we be looking out for when it comes to, you know, our taxes as new uh, property investors? What we must be looking out, what we must be looking out for taxes is that the, the tax laws are very friendly. And when I say the tax laws are very friendly, I know that most people are just scared of SARS because they're just scared of paying tax. But the truth of the matter is for new people coming into the business, do not be scared of income tax, rather study and learn and ask questions so that you get the right advice. And 
especially for newbies, most people that are making uh, 200,000 rands, 300,000 rand, some of them up to a million in, in rental income, the tax laws are very friendly to you. If you structure your business properly, you don't have to pay a lot of tax. And we've got a question here from Shakong Khaukhelo Shakong, who asks, will the trust pay any more taxes on dividends received from the PTY LTD that holds the properties other than dividends tax withheld in the company? Uh, what is the most tax efficient way to access the proceeds in the trust as a beneficiary? Okay, they, they, there's two things about trust. So one of the things we, we do when we structure trust and so the question that is being asked, there's two answers to it. It depends on the structuring of the trust because in terms of the trust, we have what is called the, the vesting trust and we have the non-vesting trust. So depending on whether the trust is a vesting trust or a non-vesting trust, will address that question. And I think it's very, it will be dangerous for me to try to answer that question in a blanket fashion without understanding because you see what SARS does is depending on whether it's a vesting or a non-vesting trust the, re the receipts of that are enjoyed by the beneficiaries are treated def differently so that is a very important question we need to ask before we answer and um last one here uh over king uh two two different viewers uh bong sabakwen as well as amos mapanga says could you share the the book that you made reference to there's a free book that you said you uh sometimes share uh perhaps if you can uh share it with us and we can post it down here below for viewers at home yeah i'm going to share the two books the first book is called the the right business structures for tax efficiency that's the one and the one talks about the right structuring for the property business. So what I can do, Zama, is I can email them, both of them to you immediately after this, and then you can make both of them available to our viewers. Perfect. Thank you so much, Obakeng. We're going to leave it there this evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It was wonderful to be here. And that is Obakeng Haitate, who is a property investor and tax expert. We certainly do hope that this evening's conversation has given you something to think about when it comes to structuring our properties, uh, certainly our property portfolio as efficiently as possible. As I said yesterday, this week is a very big week when it comes to learning about different aspects that go into structuring. Yesterday, we started it off with tax. Uh, I mean, with trust, this, this evening, we're looking at tax. Uh, on, on Thursday, we're going to be looking at, you know, the difference between buying certainly as an individual and as a company and what we've certainly heard from both yesterday and this evening's conversation is why it's so important not to buy uh you know your property certainly in your individual capacity and perhaps maybe you could only buy your residential property but certainly rethink buying your investment property in your personal capacity that's it for us folks this evening on the private property podcast it has been a pleasure being with you this evening uh we will be sharing the books that uh over game referred we'll make sure that we probably post them down here below we'll create a link we'll be able to access them and i think we'll be back again tomorrow evening at seven o'clock it's certainly been an interesting one for me i do hope as usual that you're staying home and you're staying safe
Besides the beautiful beaches, sunny skies and how central everything is, what I really love about Amstranga is the people. You can't help but become immersed in the culture and you'll find people connecting in the most authentic spaces. It's just got this vibe to it. It's hard to think that only a few years ago, these business parks and homes were mostly sugarcane. The rate that this area has been developed at is truly mind-blowing. Especially with the fast pace of life these days, we really pride ourselves in being that bright spot in a person's day. You'll see everything from advocates and CEOs to creatives and students who pop into our spot for that short moment to escape. There's just so much life and energy in this area, and after a hectic week there's nothing better than stopping in at Mount Edgecombe Country Club for a relaxed round of golf.